0: blog talk radio it's Sunday evening and welcome to blog talk radio your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brighting and Jeremy Dunn they'll be taking your calls and speaking on the
1: topic of the week you're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us the number to call is 347-215
0: 9442 that number again 347 215 9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio.
2: Good evening, everyone, and happy Sunday. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining, joined by my co host, Jeremy Dunn. Jeremy, how's your week, man? How you hanging?
0: My week is going well, um, hanging low and loose.
2: <laughs> yeah, I realize I put my foot in my mouth after I asked <laughs> Yes, you did oh, um, man. Just, You know,
0: of course, I'm, I'm a little saddened this week We've had um, some, some big news throughout the week Michael Jackson, Sarah Fawcett, Billy Mays, Ed McMahon Wow, I mean, just all those, I mean, icons in, in their fields, and um, of course, Michael Jackson being uh, probably one of the greatest pop stars of all time, but um, just,
2: just, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm in, I'm still in shock, like, because, I don't know, I guess, like, Michael Jackson was just one of those people that you just always thought would be around.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what
2: I mean? I, like whether you liked him or not you just always thought that he was always going to be around making headlines and having paparazzi and and to lose something of that greatness you know my mom turned around and she's like you know how you feel right now she's like this shock that you can't believe it she's like that's how we felt when Elvis Presley died yes and when JFK died yep and she's like that's exactly how we felt and I was like wow it sucks
0: yeah it's, it's unbelievable sucks. it really it is, is unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, and and Farrah Fawcett, right? You know, I couldn't. I, and and I have to say this because Michael Jackson died the same day Farrah Fawcett did. Yes. And they threw Farrah Fawcett to the wayside. Just to I did notice and, that. And he took. And and Michael Jackson was the big big story.
2: That yeah, it, was, it It was it was sad to see because it was like. I guess, I don't know, I don't want to say that, like, Farrah was expected, but, like, it was kind of known that uh, that she was, you know, battling something. And when somebody, when you know that somebody is dealing with an issue, I guess it's a little bit easier at times, you know, like, I knew that my father was passing with cancer, so, like, it was a little bit easier because I set my mind that, you know what I mean, that I was expecting it to come. Right. I guess there's, like, a unexpected, like, oh, my God, and then when it's somebody huge, like, you know, Michael Jackson is kinda he kinda trumped it you know, trumped her in a way. He
0: he did trump her and it, it's just <laughs> it's sad.
2: <laughs> I mean that's the only way that I could think about it.
0: And and Michael Jackson almost brought down the net I mean the internet. He just them he's trying to uh are people doing searches on him and things like that and um it, it was just it brought down Twitter for a couple of days, you know, for just a couple of hours or so. And it was just amazing.
2: Yeah, it was all over. I mean, as soon as you went on Facebook, like it was just all over. I was like, wow,
0: I couldn't believe
2: it. And you know, he's going to be like, they should turn Neverland Ranch into, um, kind of like Graceland. You know, me and Joe were talking about that, where people can come in and tour. And he's going to make so much more money right now. Like Elvis is making, I think like 50 or $550 Five hundred fifty million dollars a year. His Neverland, his uh, Great Land yep. Ranch, and it's just like he's making so much money now that he's not here. Yep. You know, hopefully for his kid's sake, you know that continues yeah. and they are able to get some of that.
0: Well, and and you know, and Michael had a very, he had a tough childhood. You know, um, I mean, we could go on and on and on, but but uh, yeah, it, it's just. It, it, it's so sad. You know, I mean, just, it, it's very, very sad. And I, and I did not want to go tonight without, you know, just kind of saying a little something and just saying, Hey, we miss you guys. I'm going to miss my OxyClean at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's a shame. And um, I see Anthony on the line, so I'm going to bring him on shortly just right. so he knows I want him to know that I see him there and I'll bring him on as soon as I can. I just want to, mention some other things before I bring him on. Anthony Bongiorno is going to be our guest tonight. He is the uh, president and founder of the Friends and AIDS Foundation, which is uh, an AIDS service organization over in California. He's going to come on and talk about that. Uh, he's going to share his amazing story, because um, it's very brave for, for you know, people to come on and, and share their stories. And, and it's very, not I don't want to say not typical or very different, but we usually don't get straight men to come on and talk about, (laughs) you know, no, no, it's serious because we really don't like we had Bob Bowers on, but it seems like, you know, some people don't tune in to our show because we do have gay guests on and, and they feel like they can't relate. So for me, you know, it's always, it's always nice to hear another side of the story because we all deal with this together. So it's just important to share stories
1: and he's going to come
2: on. And, um, Later on, before we uh, end the show, I'm going to go over the upcoming guests for July. So let me bring Anthony on to the okay, show. Okay, great. Anthony, welcome to Paws I Am Radio. Thank you very much. How are you this evening? Good. How are you?
1: Fantastic. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to come on and share my story. I really hope that uh, sharing my story will be able to benefit one listener out there throughout the world. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm And that's sure. the
0: point of this. Hey, Anthony, how are you? I'm Jeremy.
1: Nice to meet you, Jeremy. Nice to meet you as well. This
0: is going to be good.
1: Are you ready for this? Absolutely. (laughs) Far away.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you were, basically, you were born and raised in New York City until the age of 15. And you moved to California at the age of 15. And, you know, I remember being 15 years old. And at 15, it's kind of that age where you're still discovering everything about yourself. Absolutely. And you're going, you know, it's like that awkward year, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're not 18, but you're not 12. And you know what I mean? It's just like, how is that transition going from obviously California where it's very, di- or going from New York to, to California where you had a little bit more diverse groups of people?
1: I think the biggest challenge for me was uh, taking me away from my peers. I grew up in a very close-knit Italian community. Uh, I come from a family with 23 aunts and uncles. Uh, Our last reunion, we had 450 people at the reunion, so we're a very, very large family. And relocating to California was a shock for me, Uh, being a young man at the time, 15 years old, just going through puberty, taking me away from my peers, and going to the opposite coast, which was just a complete, diverse group of people out there. I mean, there were so many walks of life, especially in Hollywood, that it was a huge culture shock for me.
2: Yeah, it's like a whole new world over there. <laughs> Absolutely, a
1: whole yeah, new so world. I was well, just yeah, out because... there
2: like last year or two years ago, and, and it's still a whole new world out there compared to the East Coast.
0: Well, and, and you know, coming out of um, New York where you you have neighborhoods, mm-hmm. And you got everybody looking out for you there. And then you jump over to Los Angeles and it's like, holy smokes.
1: <laughs> it's like you go from neighborhoods to attitudes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a harsh reality, but I got to keep it real, you know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I grew up out in Los Angeles, so, um, and it was it's funny because people ask me all the time well what do you think uh you know what's different between Los Angeles and where I am currently in Charlotte North Carolina and i said well in Los Angeles friends are only your friends if they can get something out of you true and 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 i did and that seems to be unique in in LA and it's when i go at other places people you know friends want to be your friend because they actually like you
1: <laughs> right LA is more about me 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 me
0: Exactly.
1: That's what I experience out there, here, and I've been out here since the age of 15, and I'm 45. So yep. I've out so i been here a long time, and the scenery hasn't changed. It's still <laughs> all about me, 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 me.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? Speaking of me, actually you, we're going to okay. talk about you all okay. hour long, so it's all about you tonight.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> all
0: right. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about you and um, – and, and your experience with HIV.
1: Okay. Well, we'll start off with me relocating to California. We'll pick it up from there. All right. Basically, I moved out to Los Angeles, California, and um, I had to contend with a diverse group of people out here in the community, and I was pretty active in high school and uh, took part-time jobs, You know, like any kid would going to school and uh, was rather sexually active from a very young age. And, uh, you know, how I was raised, when I was raised, born and raised in New York, if I may back up a moment, you know, we grew up at a time, an era where there was no HIV and AIDS. And having safe sex, to me, meant not having an unwanted child, you know. And that's the mentality I came out to L.A. with. You know, as a boy in, in, in puberty, you know, getting into the whole dating scene, it was just, there wasn't, you know, safe sex was let's not get pr- the girl pregnant. And it was basically the responsibility was shouldered onto the female, okay, that she had to have some sort of birth control. Ideally, it was the pill. I mean, condoms, you know, weren't considered back then when I was growing up. I mean, I didn't use condoms, you know. So, uh, I mean, I engaged in a lot of risky behaviors as, you know, a young adult from the age of 15 on, you know, and never thought twice about any of that. And it was during the 80s that I took a job with the Federated Department stores, and they started a committee called the AIDS Planning Committee, which was volunteers from Federated that were going to address the epidemic that was taking place in Los Angeles by getting together many of the volunteers to go out and make appearances at public functions. And because I was really eager working with Federated and had a real bubbly outgoing personality, my uh, store director approached me and thought I would be ideal. This is the first time I really heard of HIV slash AIDS. It was in the mid-'80s, you know. Knew nothing about it, didn't really care about it. It didn't affect me. I had that attitude I was invincible. It's not going to affect me. Growing up back east, you know, uh, in a very traditional Italian family, I hate to use the word stereotype, but I will say traditional, you know, had the stigma, of course, that it was a gay disease and it would not affect me because I was not gay. And that's where my mindset and mentality was. So I got out there, and I started getting really involved with this AIDS planning committee and going to functions. And I kind of was just taken aback by the whole thing. And I just kind of, you know, laid really low and did a lot of observing and let a lot of the other employees take the lead. I was really, really uncomfortable being around people with HIV. That's that's my first recollection. You know, I was uneducated, naive, scared, and just didn't know what to do or how to react. So I kind of just jumped in and eventually got my feet wet and started talking to people. And you know, the light bulb finally went on and said, "Hey, this this guy, this girl's just like me. You know, except they have a disease. They have a heart. They have a soul. You know, they can hold a conversation." You know, uh, they have dreams, you know, and uh, we share a lot in common. So that was basically making me feel really, really comfortable. And I began to just work at the Macy's Passport and a lot of the functions that they held. And I did that for numerous years. And it wasn't until about 1988 or 89 when I actually took my first HIV test. And uh, that was pretty, pretty scary for me still. Considering I was heavily involved with this project, I was dating a woman, and she wouldn't move further until I went and took a test. And I took it personally and uh, tried to come up with every excuse in the book. And, uh, you know, I really, for lack of better words, I really wanted to land her, so I gave in and went and took a test. And I came back negative you know. And what year was this? This was like 88, 89. Okay. So that's where I was. And I didn't test again until 2003, you know. So between 88 and 89, I really didn't pay attention to the virus. And, you know, I was, you know, now that I look back and reflect upon that, I was pretty naive and i'm pretty disappointed in myself because you know i did all this work for several years with federated and uh i leave you know uh that committee and i was transferred to washington so i wasn't serving on the committee then they relocated me to florida and i spent uh, four years in florida going back and forth so i wasn't really involved with this committee at all so i mean HIV and AIDS kind of just went to the back of my mind. And I still engaged in my risky behaviors, you know, of having unprotected sex with woman after woman after woman. And uh, it was uh, during the 1990s, I ran into some problems with an addiction. I was addicted to alcohol and cocaine. And, uh, you know, what started out was a so- social drug usage on the weekend turned into 24-7 pretty much for me. Uh, I was doing close to an ounce of cocaine a day for a very, very long time, you know, and needless And that's to- one of the part of your
2: story, Anthony, that I could relate to because, I, you know, I myself, I talk about it. I was, you know, addicted to coke and then eventually went to meth. And it ended up, you know, taking away a part of me, you know what I mean, at that at that moment it didn't allow me to to grow because I, I wasn't accepting who, you know, I was. I had of course inner demons dealing with me being gay and that issue of of why I kind of fed into going down to that thing. But do you think that the drug use intertwined with you becoming positive?
1: Uh
2: Like, do you think it screwed your frame of mind up, maybe?
1: And I will say, I will say, yes,
2: it did. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I definitely,
1: I mean, not immediately, but I will say in the long run, I mean, if I just keep this real and go from A to B to C to D, I wouldn't have caught the virus if I wasn't with the woman I was with, uh, and I met this woman because I was in, uh, in recovery. So if, if I wasn't involved in drugs, I mean, my destiny perhaps could have been a little bit different. Right. So, I mean, growing up was really, really hard for me as a young man. You know, I keep going back to that, being taken out of my neighborhood, being taken away from my peers, you know, coming to of age, you know, of being promiscuous in, in a foreign country. You know, uh, I had a lot of figuring out to do on my own. You know, all my close-knit friends weren't there for us to, you know, to bounce ideas and everything off of, you know. So I was left pretty much to figure out things on my own and, and to create my own course, my own path for me. And uh, I found it really, really difficult to, to relate to people in L.A., You know, and I was going through being a a recovering addict. You know, I can now disclose that, you know, I I felt different. You know, I was isolated. I didn't feel like the rest of the people that I was around. You know, so I dove into cocaine basically to mask my feelings and my fears and my insecurities. And I mean, of course, once I was involved with cocaine and alcohol, you know, uh, my lifestyle dramatically changed. I mean, I was more and more on a constant basis having unprotected sex. I mean, that was the big thing for me when I was growing up in the late 80s, early 90s. It was that whole scene in L.A., you know, fast-paced lifestyle, you know, fancy clothes, big hair, you know, nice car, and and as many women as you can get. It was like trophies for us, you know. And uh, it was really a fast-paced, crazy lifestyle. And, I mean, it went on for
2: years and years and years for me. So eventually you ended up becoming HIV positive through your, your wife, correct? That's correct. Which is the lady you were speaking about that you met in recovery. Correct. Okay. So,
0: she, so, what, um, so what caused you to get tested?
1: The Again. first time in 88, 89?
0: No, the second time this, when you found uh, out that I you got were positive. I got
1: tested right before I got married. Okay. And I came back negative again, Mm
2: -hmm. okay?
1: And then what happened was uh, I picked up a couple of cases, you know, while I was into the drug scene. And, uh, you know, I met this woman, and uh, she was my rock, as I put it. And uh, I started getting clean. I started getting serious. I had to clean up some of the legal records, and I was sentenced to do some time, okay? Mm -hmm. And I went away, and I did some time. And I came back out. Uh, from my leave of absence from work and from doing time and you know like any husband I was married by then and I came right back into the relationship and dove right into the sack exactly one month from the day I got home I basically fell out Okay, uh, I was getting really really fatigued losing weight and I'm pretty slender to begin with uh, night sweats like crazy felt like I was having the flu And I didn't go get tested. What happened was I went to the store, and as I was coming out of the store, I basically collapsed walking down the steps. And next thing I know, I wake up in the hospital. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wake up in the hospital, and they're telling me that I'm HIV positive. And there was nobody there. My wife wasn't there. My family wasn't, wasn't there. Nobody was there. I was just completely in shock, you know. And, you know, then from the shock went to the anger, you know, to the guilt, just the whole spectrum, roller coaster of emotions. You know, anything I can think of was just flying through my head. You know, I'm dead, I'm doomed, why me? People are going to think I'm gay, you know, my family's going to disown me, I'm, you know, I'm dirty, I'm diseased, you know, nobody's going to love me. I mean, I was just like, The fastest roller coaster you can be on, I was on for like three days in the hospital. It was just out of control in my head. Mm
2: -hmm. So let me get this right. You you tested right before you got married and it came back negative. Correct. Right. And then you went and took care of what you had to take care of. And then when you came back from being away, you know, you went back into the unprotected relationship. Right. And... You just started feeling sick after a while, and then that was when you collapsed, and then they tested you for HIV while you were out? Or it
1: happened you? so fast. What came to be was that I was gone for six months, a little less huh. than six months. So she was having an affair the whole time I was gone. That was all confirmed. So when I came home, I jumped in the sack, and about one month after I jumped in the sack is when I started experiencing symptoms of the virus, is when all of a sudden I was really, really tired, and the night sweats and losing weight and the fever, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was just having the flu, and that's when I was just out to the store one day, and that's when I collapsed, and that's when I was made aware of my status, when I was brought to the hospital a few hours later. When I came to and woke up, you know, uh, I had the doctors around me, and they disclosed to me that I was uh, positive, and then they sent someone from the infectious disease clinic downstairs up like a counselor to sit and talk with me and uh, we talked for a little while and I can't remember what we said I was just so irate and I was just like why me how could it be me no way why me how could it be me no way you know and I mean I was just just thinking I mean I had so much unprotected sex for so many years never got anyone pregnant never caught an STD you know and it's like bam, the woman I marry, you know, the mother of my child, the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with, is the one that infects me. Mm-hmm. It was just something that was mind-boggling to me.
0: So do you have children now? or? Yes. And, um, and are, did, you, did you have children with – and there's a reason why I'm going this route. Um, <laughs> um, are they positive?
1: No. My, Good. I have a son. Uh-huh. And my son is negative.
0: Oh, that's terrific! Right. And did you have the son with with your ex, with your uh, ex wife?
1: No, I did not.
0: Okay. So you had a son with someone else.
1: That is correct.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I'm I'm piecing it all together.
2: That's Great. right. <laughs> that's
1: how we do it.
0: Yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I just think hearing that like gives somebody like me, you know, and Jeremy, I'm sure somebody like you hope that you know that. He has a child, you know, and, and, and life goes on. And, and, you know, right now, Anthony, I take it from what I hear and read about you is that you're, you're happy kind of right now where you're at in life. I,
1: I, I'm doing good. I'm doing the best that I can. You know, I, I have a lot to juggle with on a daily basis being <laughs> an addict in recovery. I'm still right. clean and sober. Uh, you know, I have to contend with my program of recovery and I have to deal with my my medical condition on on a regular basis. I mean, the HIV has has not, you know, I've been diagnosed since 2003, so I'm coming up on six years. And I mean, I destroyed my body so bad with drugs and alcohol that, you know, my HIV has progressed, in my opinion, a lot faster than it should have. You know, I've experienced. Some advanced stage GERD I've had several surgeries on me Uh, I've had a stroke I'm suffering from uh, Severe neuropathy As we speak So I mean there are side effects And complications that I have to contend with On a daily basis
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know But you know I try to stay as positive And like I was telling Robert earlier You know I treat Treat three parts of me every day Mind, body and spirit because mm-hmm. that's what the disease is here to do. It's right. here to, to destroy, you know, not just my immune system, but my mind, body, and spirit. So I feel in my spirituality that I need to treat all three on a daily basis in order to, you know, take on this fight on a daily basis.
2: Right. right. Now, what do you do to um, to treat that? Because I know we were talking about it a little bit earlier, and I wanted you to, to bring it up. Um, to treat your mind, body, and spirit, what do you do that maybe you would recommend to somebody or suggest that they do to, to help their mind, body, and spirit?
1: Okay, we're going to talk with mind. There are several things I do with mind. First and foremost, you know, uh, you know, my recovery is my first and foremost, because if I'm not clean and sober, I'm not going to take my meds. I'm not going to make my medical appointments. I'm not going to have safe sex out there, you know, so I need to take care of my mind first and foremost by, by taking care of my recovery, and that's going to my my N.A. and AA meetings and being of service and sponsoring people and working out of my big book, you know, and working my steps. That's the first thing I do to take care of my mind. The next thing I do is I do a lot of journaling to take care of my mind, and like I was sharing earlier, six years into the virus, I still attend a weekly support group, believe it or not, you know. And that seems something that works for me, just to have that close-knit bond, you know, where I can take away my individual concerns, you know, to a select group of people where we can sit there and we can share what we're going through, where we can cry on each other's shoulders without being judged, where we can vent our anger and our frustration. It's a very safe, loving, and nurturing environment, and that's something that's very, very important for me because that's not what I had when I first was diagnosed. I was pretty much left alone, you know. So I counter that by staying really, really close to my immediate support group. And that's what I do to take care of my mind. You know, as far as my spirit, I do a lot of praying. I do a lot of meditation. You know, I wake each morning and I start my morning out meditating by the water. I'm very fortunate to live, you know, within two blocks of the ocean and, and that's, that's where I take care of my spirit every, every morning. I wake yeah, up Yeah, when you said that earlier, that
2: you meditated the beach, I was yeah. so jealous. <laughs> well,
1: it, it, it's working for me,
2: you know. Yeah, that's I mean? great. That,
1: that's basically, you know, when I pray, this is my philosophy. It's when I'm praying is when I'm asking, and when I'm meditating is when I'm listening. You know, so I go each morning, you know, I usually pray a lot at night before I go to bed. And then I wake in the morning, and the first thing I do is hit the beach so I get my answers, and that kind of resets me each day because I have to take this life one day at a time. I don't right. know what today is going to bring. So i mean I have to really make a conscious effort to take care of the mind, body, and spirit on a daily basis so that I have any sort of chance to make it through today, you know, without uh, too many scars. And then, of course, I'm on a cocktail And I'm very fortunate, Uh, I've been on my current cocktail. It's my second cocktail and I've been on this one for about two years, you know, and knock wood so far it seems to be working. I had some complications when I had a stroke. I had a stroke back in February and I had some partial paralyzation and I was blind in one eye and I was having complications due to the stroke with my cocktail working. So they needed to make some adjustments with the additional medications uh, that I was taking. And so far, the numbers seem to be coming up. I got as low as 204 T-cells in my count. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now I'm back up to 458 and climbing. And I was as high as 1,900 at one time, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. I mean, my doctor's (laughs) like, this is not possible. 1,900, it's unheard of, you know. And uh, so I mean it's it, it's an uphill battle for me on a daily basis, you know. And I can say, you know, for anyone listening out there, I think, you know, the number one factor to take you down with your HIV besides drugs is going to be stress. You know, yeah. Reduce stress, whatever it takes. Reduce stress. Stress is like one of the number one killers out there.
0: Well. So uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit and and talk a little bit about um, your foundation and uh, what, you know, I mean, you've had this, um, you've got an amazing story, and now you have this amazing foundation. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Okay, where do I start? (laughs) I was attending some support groups okay and as i shared with robert i did not like what i was experiencing in the support groups i was going to support groups and it just happened to be that a lot of the support groups there were homosexual people in it and i just i have nothing against homosexuals i just could not relate to their specific instances and their specific stories I personally was having a really difficult time sitting in a room with 10 or 15 homosexual men sharing about their personal experiences on a daily basis. I couldn't relate to it, so I didn't feel like I was getting anything out of the group. The other thing I was experiencing in these groups, and I tried numerous groups through numerous service providers in Los Angeles County. I was just going like all around town trying to find my niche, trying to find one I fit into. You know, and I experienced quite often walking into a group where there were the old timers that were living with this disease that had a full-blown age diagnosis for 20 years, you know, that when I walked in and, and started to share, I mean, they downplayed me. Like, oh, you know, you're a baby, you're a newcomer, you know, we've, we're veterans, we've been living 20 years, what are you complaining about? you know you got your whole life ahead of you we're out of cocktails you know and you know and it didn't basically make me feel welcome and warm there so i was getting really really frustrated you know and uh i basically started my first support group okay out of this frustration i mean i myself was searching for a place but i said there has to be someone else That's positive. That's experiencing the same thing that I'm experiencing, what we're feeling, the rejection, not being able to fit in, not being able to relate. So I basically went and did a little research down here in Long Beach, California, at a treatment center and and found a few people. I did like a focus group, and there were a few people that were experiencing the same thing as me. And I said, hmm, why don't we start a weekly support group? And basically the group took off. From day one, the group took off. We started with like 8 to 12 people. And from there, the group went to the guys and girls were calling me, you know, after group saying, hey, I need help with this. I need this form. How can I get this? And that's basically how the foundation started. That's
0: awesome. I, I think that's absolutely you know,
1: amazing. And I, mean, it, I mean, it started like so little, you know, so little. And it was just like, you know, just me being out there, you know, reaching yeah. out my hand and saying, you know, it's okay. I'm feeling what you're feeling, you know. And it was real important for me to set this atmosphere in the group. You know, we went around and we checked in with each other. And mm-hmm. I obviously facilitated. We went around we did a quick check in. And if there was a common theme that someone was expressing – I took three of the most common themes, and those were the topics, but we also allowed everyone the opportunity to address their individual fears and concerns without judging them, and it wasn't like we made any comments. You know, We would not offer any feedback to any participant in the group unless they asked for it. You know, so it was like mm-hmm. they can just sit there and cry and moan and scream and, and you know, pull the pillow apart and do whatever they want. We were just there to unconditionally love them and support them. And then we look at them, and I'm like, do you want feedback? And if they said yes, then we would start offering it. Mm-hmm. And that's what made the group such a, a huge success. And you know, it started to grow and grow to the point where we were doing three and four groups a week just on that particular treatment facility.
2: And do you still
1: do three or four groups a week now? Well, uh, we're doing about twelve groups a week now. Oh, wow! Yeah, we're that, doing that's twelve. A bunch. You know, newly diagnosed. I mean, we're doing all sorts of groups right now. We're actually our groups are, are going really, really strong. We're strong on support groups right now. We're strong on advocacy. We're really strong on workshops, prevention for, for positives. And we do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of testing. I'm I'm certified and licensed out in the state of California to actually administer tests. So I do the testing for the foundation. And we do a lot of outreach, a lot of condom distribution. I have a program out here in L.A. called The Hookup, which is nothing more than a glorified condom raid, where I have a group of volunteers that are model-like men and women, that dress up really nice and run into a nightclub and instead of serving drinks off a cocktail tray, they're serving condoms and lubes with testing information, you know. And they, I have a, a set of six volunteers that hit, you know, three clubs on a given night, you know, and anywhere from a thousand to three thousand condoms are distributed on a nightly basis in L.A. Wow, you know, and uh, it, it's quite exciting. We've gotten some really, really good
2: reviews throughout the county for that. Well, I think that's great because um there's plenty of times where I know, you know, I went to a club when I was out in, in the bar scene at that time and and if there was a condom there, you know, I, I may have used it if it was sitting at the bar or was handed out by somebody. So, you right. know, that's a that's a great thing that you're doing right there for people.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've have, we haven't had any knock wood. We haven't had any negative feedback from anybody. You know, we don't we don't go into a club and try to take away from their bar sales or try to scare the patrons. I mean, it's all done, and, you know, sometimes we go in with balloons, you know, 50 or 60 balloons with condoms and lube inside the balloons, and we'll just let them go and make, you know, like, make a game out of it or something like that, or we'll just decorate the table with a ring of condoms with some mints on it, and we, we just go <laughs> in real subtle sometimes.
2: You either and get a see, pinata. <laughs> pinata, whatever it
1: is. We did a huge AIDS, AIDS ribbon from floor to ceiling draped out of red velvet. I mean... We have some pretty, pretty uh, unique ways in which we do outreach. Yesterday was National HIV Testing Day, and right. believe it or not, we worked the trains. We rode the trains from nine o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock at night. Public transportation, and we gave out close to ten thousand condoms.
0: That's awesome I, 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 on I, the trains.
1: Great. Nobody does that. You know, they go to testing sites and thrift stores and and into you know the hood and into the neighborhood. I mean, we got right on the trains. And we were just back and forth, you know, working the platforms, working the trains, you know, as the train's in motion, just giving out testing referrals to the closest location and giving out any kind of information, some quick education, you know, one-on-ones if people wanted it right there on the train, you know, and, and dropping with a business card as, as the train, you know, stops. And, and that's it. We had a very successful day.
0: That's very awesome. So did you, do, um, did you do a lot of testing?
1: Did I do, I did, you know, I'm the only one right now. My foundation has been a private foundation run and financed by myself and a few people mm-hmm. for the last two and a half years. Okay, okay. And it's come to the point now where the economy and the economic hardship is being felt by everybody that my consistent donors that have been giving to me that believe in my work had to scale back. So I'm at the point now where I've actually had to formally incorporate and submit my 501c application with the federal government Mm -hmm. for nonprofit status so I can start to get some financial assistance from the government as well as Elton John and Mac and Levi's and Macy's and all the other big corporations so I can start to grow my brand. All right. Right now we're pretty small. You know, it's you know, it's three employees, 17 volunteers, you know, and that's just the way I like it right now because I'm very hands-on. I got to know everything that's going on. I pretty much approve everything, you know, because we have a certain style, the way we handle people. You know, when people call in for referrals, we don't just say here call this one. I mean, we get their information, you know. We basically give them options. You know, we put them in touch with who they need to be in touch with. We follow up with every single call that comes in. As long as someone leaves us with a valid number, we Mm -hmm. do a follow-up call like a week later, you know. You don't find that in a lot of agencies, you know. So we still have that small-time, you know, grassroots feel, and and that's what I really want to keep no matter how large we
2: grow. right. One of the, Anthony, one of the other that I know you wanted to touch on, and I wanted to touch on, is this positive inspirations book that you're working on.
1: Yes, I did want to mention that for everyone out there. Uh, I came up with this idea, and uh, how can I basically? There's been a lot of lackluster in the United States of America towards the whole HIV/AIDS epidemic, and this, you know, and towards the education, you know. Now the CDC is finally stepping up to the plate with their nine and a half minutes program and their whole campaign and you know we're starting to get back on to speed right now but uh... you know i'm I'm focusing on even though i'm a local based agency i do a lot of work internationally like i have a medication recycling program where i do send unused medications that i collect here i send into mexico because the larger medication recycling programs are already been around for years and they're all sending into africa Not that many people are sending into Mexico, and there's a huge need in Mexico, so I started to focus on sending the medication into Mexico. So I says, I want to do some international outreach and raise some awareness. So I came up with this idea for Positive Inspirations, which is a book, and it it consists of art, literary work, and photographic work, anything of a spiritual influence, because I believe that art is the universal language that everybody can understand no matter if they're black, white, gay, straight, Chinese, you know, Iranian, American, Italian, French, you know. And uh, basically what we're going to do is we're taking submissions now, and this book's going to come out, and it's going to showcase about 250 pieces of work. That's going to deal with anything spiritual. I mean, we're leaving this up to the artist, okay, because, you know, art is in the eye you know, in the eye of the beholder, you know, and basically we're going to incorporate some HIV prevention messages throughout the book, nothing real heavy, 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 it's not going to be like an educational type book, but it's going to be a book out there where everybody will feel comfortable picking up, right. like, okay, I'm not picking this book up because it's an, it's an HIV AIDS education book, and, I, and I'm not picking up because it is, and I'm not going to not pick it up because it isn't. It's just a, it's going to be a wonderful piece of artwork that's going to get a message across.
2: And I also see on your on your website, so people listening to this, they can go to friendsofaids.org, and there's a link to the positive inspirations. But you okay. actually have a submission form, so people can um, submit uh, things because we do have artists and things of that nature on our site that may be interested in submitting. Right,
1: we're taking poetry, we're taking photography. We're taking any type of paintings. I mean, basically at this point, I'm open to anything. You know, my goal was to get, you know, anywhere from 500 to 700 submissions. And we have an aggressive marketing campaign where there's going to be a live auction held in Beverly Hills three weeks prior to the release of the book. Where everybody's work that's been submitted, whether they're going to be included in the book or not, is going to have an opportunity to contribute because all of the work will be auctioned off at this live auction so you know we have a real aggressive plan to do a lot of outreach internationally and we've gotten a lot of good feedback from Europe you know I mean from people from China people from Africa people from Australia people from New Zealand I mean we're receiving submissions on a daily basis and we're that's really great. really blessed with that
0: oh, that's that's that is terrific
1: it's, it's, it's all coming together little by little, and that's really exciting, you know. I mean, that's really what my passion is. You know, I've had this passion to help people and give back, you know, since I was a child, and I decided to take that passion, and instead of making some huge corporation millions of dollars, I've decided to take that passion and give back to society, you know, and to help people and to be of service. And, and that's what makes me feel good when I put my head on the pillow at night.
0: You know, and and I I think that's awesome. I I, I just personally, I think it's absolutely terrific what you're doing.
1: Thank you very much. It's very, very rewarding work, very rewarding work. You know, as long as you keep balanced, you know, that's the key to all of this is that I have a life. I have balance. I have time for my family. You know, uh, I might add that I'm in a new relationship right now. Well, good. I'm in a relationship with a normie. I'm in a relationship with someone HIV negative, huh. you know, and I mean there is a lot of dialogue that takes place, there's a lot of testing that takes place, there's a lot of safe sex that takes place, but you know, just because I have this virus doesn't mean I'm down and out and life is over, and that's, that's the message I really want to put out there for anyone that's positive or negative, or knows of someone that's positive out there, you know, we still have a chance at life, okay? I mean, it's all what we make it, you know. Mm -hmm. And if I had to say one thing, it's on my website. I always say, always remember if HIV has infected or infected or affected your life, do not let it invade your spirit. I mean, that's the key to serenity. That's a great motto. You know, and I live by that on a daily basis. Mm
2: -hmm. That's great. I just want to put the call in number if anyone out there is interested in calling in and asking a question or a of a comment for Anthony, you can call us at 347-215-9442. One of the things I wanted to touch back on, Anthony, is we touched earlier about um, when you went through, um, when you were first going through the addiction stages, and right now you say you still go to meetings and things. Do you do speaking engagements at these meetings? Like do you, are you a speaker at some of them?
1: Excuse me. I, I, I do speak. I do not speak. I used to be a circuit speaker. Uh-huh. <clears throat> right now with the foundation, the constraints of the foundation, of course, my, my sobriety is first and foremost. But I have to limit my speaking engagements because I have a lot of speaking engagements for the foundation. You know, one thing that we didn't touch on is uh, I was actually an appointed commissioner Uh, for the Los Angeles County Commission on HIV, and I served a term which just expired on June 9th, and I basically served the citizens of Los Angeles County for the last two years. And what the Commission on HIV is, it's a planning body, and it's the primary advisory mechanism to the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors on anything that's related to HIV and AIDS. So basically, we're entrusted with the Los Angeles County $40 million a year budget, and we decide which programs are getting how much money and for what programs and services. So, I mean, that really took up a lot of my time, you know, doing a lot of advocating, a lot of trips to Washington, many, many trips to Sacramento on a weekly or sometimes monthly basis. You know, so I've had to cut back some of my speaking engagements as far as going out in recovery. But I still work with people, individuals. The foundation still works with people, helping them to recover. Uh, We do have relapse prevention for HIV-positive individuals. We do link them. We have some um, connections and some collaborations and affiliations with some treatment centers that have HIV programs and services for addicts that are positive.
2: Right. Well, what I was was trying to to figure out is what I meant is like when you go, I know when I went to NA meetings, which I'm I'm assuming, and I could be wrong, are similar to AA meetings. And some of them when you go to, there are speakers. Yes. You know what I mean? And sometimes I know for me, like last minute, they'd be like, oh, my speaker didn't show up, can you speak? and things of that nature. And I was just wondering, if, did you, if that you spoke, happens
1: to me, I, I've, my, as my sponsor told me, I don't mm-hmm. turn down a request. If right, I'm I there, hear you. <laughs> if I'm there at the meeting, of course.
2: But have you shared since being, like, since, like I know you went into recovery not being positive, but now that you are positive, have you shared after your diagnosis and has that changed at all? Because I know for me, after I was diagnosed is when I actually started sharing at the NA meetings. And it was very tough for me to say, In front of all these people, you know, I have HIV. I just wanted to know how that experience was for you if you went through it.
1: You know, it was actually a rather easy experience. You know, uh, if I can just back up a little, what I didn't really touch on is, you know, when after I got out of the hospital, I was in, like, intense psychotherapy for a year where I was in sessions with a therapist three times a week. I mean, I had so much issues to deal with with... My status and with my marriage being strained, and my wife committed suicide, and being a single parent, and giving up a 20 year career. I mean, I just had so much on my plate, you know. That, you know, I really worked my program of recovery so rigorously that it was really easy for me to talk to right. people. And what really helped me was I started the foundation by offering services specifically two HIV-positive individuals that were in treatment centers. So I was comfortable from the get-go. That's good. You know, so, I mean, I feel really, really, really comfortable sharing out there, you know, whenever I have an opportunity to. If it's going to help somebody, then, that you know, that's my job.
2: Well, I say kudos to you and your group of 20, you um, know, <laughs> It's great what you do, and I think more people need to be involved like that. And I I guess it's kind of a little bit harder for me because I I guess you live in the city area. I'm more in the rural, so it's a little bit – I find it maybe an excuse, but it's hard to get out into the city to do things of that nature, especially if it was one of those people, places, and things you're not supposed to be around. Right. (laughs) You know? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: I mean, I still have challenges on a daily basis, you know, Uh, I I can can go back since we have a little bit of time. I can talk what it was like, you know. After my wife committed suicide and I was single, what it was like to be single, alone, with the virus. I mean, I was terrified, you know. And, uh, for you know, I, I did start dating. I was on the rebound, you know, at first and uh i got rejected and there was a lot of discrimination there were a lot of there were a lot of haters out there there were a lot of slaps across the face i was called dirty and diseased Uh, don't call me don't come near me how dare you i mean that was that was really really tough you know and my spirits got down and the big question mark went on in my head you know what am i to do and how am i to get through this you know and and do I wanna continue on, or am I done? Is it you know is it just gonna be me alone you know and uh after I went through that situation probably for about six months or so i I entered into a relationship with a a negative person that knew more than I did about the virus I mean she was around the whole l a scene you know into the hair. She was in the hair salon business since the 80s, and a lot of her friends were gay. A lot of her friends had the virus. A lot of her friends were in the entertainment industry. I mean, so she was so well-versed. She was staying tested. She was staying current on information. I mean, she actually was a huge support system for me, you know, and, and I got into a relationship with her, and, I mean, that was my first sign that, you know, life, life is okay. Life can be good today, you know. excuse me, you know, it all comes down to my attitude and my perception.
2: How great is that feeling to know that you could be in a relationship again or or find love again, you know, after just losing, you know, your previous wife? Surreal. That's how
1: I can describe it in one word, Surreal. Didn't think it would. I didn't think it would ever be possible. I mean, this woman was my rock. You know, you know, after a long battle with cocaine, you know, and getting clean, you know, you kind of they tell you to stay out of that relationship for the first year. They suggest it, and I mean, my whole perception was, you know, like this is my rock. This is my angel. You know, I'm coming first time out of all these years being clean and sober. I thought this, this was the one. This was the only one. And I didn't think anyone would be possible after her after she passed and I mean God showed me differently, you know. Showed me that, you know, as long as I stay true to myself and I'm kind, I'm loving soul, that he's gonna take care of me and I've been blessed in that relationship. Unfortunately that relationship didn't work out and we went our separate ways, but I'm happy to say that I am still very good friends with that woman and she's actually a volunteer for the foundation. You know, she commits ten hours a week of her time to working with the foundation. You know, and uh, we're really, really close. We're really good friends, you know, and I can call her up when I'm in my head, you know, to this day, you know, with issues with my own status. Sometimes, you know, I I struggle on a daily basis. If I'm not taking care of my mind, body, and spirit, if I run a little short and I feel I need a little extra time but I don't have it because the phone's ringing and the client's on the phone or the hotline's going off or something – you know, that's the kind of struggles I have to deal with on a daily basis. You know, if the phone's ringing, you know, and it gets forwarded to my house, you know, so I pick up the phone if I'm in the middle of a prayer or something, you know, I have to I go back and forth.
2: We have, um, Jeremy, are you there? Do you have a question? No, I,
0: I, no I'm here. I'm here.
2: Okay. Do you have so, a question? Um, or?
0: Uh, there's actually, we have a question in the chat room. So um, this is from Lauren in the chat room, and she's asking, "Do you worry about giving HIV to your partner, your non-HIV positive, your your HIV negative partner, and how do you bridge that gap with that with your partner?"
1: I am not worried. Okay, I used to be very, very worried initially because of my particular partner, which I will keep her anonymous. but she's a very traditional type of woman, uh, Christian type of woman, and, and uh, that was like a big concern of mine, you know, and we had a lot, a lot of dialogue before we became intimate with each other, and how do I bridge that gap? Communication, basically communication, and the fact that I, you know, I come to realize through my recovery, Lauren, that... I'm powerless over people, period. People make their own decisions. So I need to, as long as I'm doing my part and communicating and taking care of my side of the street, and she wants to engage in a relationship and she wants to love me from the goodness of her heart, then I'm okay with that. I'm not going to shut myself out, you know, and, and leave me isolated. And I have I have
2: um, a caller here real quick, Anthony. We're down to the last three minutes. I'm gonna bring this caller on. Caller six one nine, where are you calling from? What's your name? Hello? I guess they're not there. Okay. Hello, okay. Hello?
0: Okay. it? Hi, this is Scott.
2: Hey Hi, Scott, Scott, where are you calling from? I'm down in Oceanside. Oh. You have a question for Anthony? I do. I I, I got on
0: the call late, and I apologize, so I'm not sure where the call uh, was at earlier, but, um, you know, just listening in uh, here the last few minutes. Uh, What do you, uh, I do have some questions. Uh, What do you think about having kids uh, with your positive uh, status? I hope this hasn't already been asked.
1: Uh, with, I'm moving forward with my, my partner right now. Uh, you know, we're engaged, looking at marriage, and we will not be having any more kids at this point in time because okay, of Okay, and age. have you
0: had uh, conversations with doctors or whatever? Have they advised you against that, or?
1: No, uh, I've actually done, so. I've done a lot of research, you know, about all the, Methods and medications that are available in the event that I did end up with a partner who wanted to have kids, I looked at options, adoption and artificial insemination and about cocktails for them and different things that could happen, you know, not breastfeeding and C-sections and stuff like that. So I'm well-versed and well-educated, but it's a decision at this point in time because of the constraints of the foundation and where I am in my life, it's not something I'm going to pursue.
2: All right, I want to thank him for calling in. We're down to the last two minutes. So, Anthony, I want to thank you for calling in and um, sharing your story with us. It has been very insightful for, for myself. Thank you very much. Yes, thank
0: you, Anthony. Uh, what a, You have just such a powerful story, and I just wish you the best of luck, and um, especially in getting to your 5013C um,
2: status. So,
1: Thank you very much.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, you have to come back up when that book comes out and and let us know. Oh, for sure. We'll be in
1: touch. I'm on the site too. I'm on the POSIM community, so I'm making contributions there as well.
2: Great. Great. Thanks a lot. All right, gentlemen. Thank you very much.
1: Have a good one.
2: You You too. too, Bye bye. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and just a reminder that on uh, this Wednesday coming up at 2 p.m., we will be featuring um, a friend of mine, Brandon Moscata. I hope I said his last name right, and he's actually going to be talking about an event coming up in July that I will be speaking at with some other members of IM. So um, we're down to the last minute. Um, do you have a final thought, Jeremy? My final
0: thought is everybody just have a great week and um, get. A, you can get in touch with me at PositivelySpeaking.com That's P-O-Z PositivelySpeaking.com
2: There you go, and you can also follow all of us at the POSIM community at www.posim.com. And, of course, you can find me and Jeremy on Twitter and Facebook. on (laughs) MySpace my Facebook. And all the other wonderful places. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And you can also sign up for the POSIM newsletter, so you can um, find out who the upcoming shows are going to have on in July uh, at the POSIM community there. So, Jeremy, you have yourself a great, week and I, i'm going I look forward to. to next sunday actually right. real quick next Sunday's show i didn't even mention this we're going to have um, nicholas Bell from action equals you can go and learn about him and we'll talk more about him on sunday have a great night Jeremy. great
0: you too have a great week everybody bye-bye
2: bye-bye